Well, we come then to Matthew 6, verses 1 to 4. In the Sermon on the Mount, one word that occurs on several occasions and key occasions actually in the sermon is the word righteousness. In the Beatitudes, in chapter 5, the, the blessed, the blessed, the blessed, we see blessed are those who are seeking for righteousness. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Uh, righteousness is a word of judgment, of right character, and of right result. Uh, the first century Jew could feel that righteousness hadn't been done. For the wicked prospered and the righteous suffered. The wicked nation had conquered Israel and oppressed Israel, oppressing God's people. And there were people longing for righteousness, but within their longing for righteousness, it was basically and generally for righteousness to be done in the world to them. They wanted righteousness done, not so much they wanted to do righteousness. Yet Jesus' hunger and thirst for righteousness was not only some kind of future judgment vindicating the, the good guys and punishing the bad guys. Jesus' hunger and thirst for righteousness was one of a passion to live righteously, hungering and thirsting for righteousness in my own life as well as in the society, as well as in the world. The second reference to righteousness is again in the Beatitudes. You see it there in chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This blessing of, purchase, uh, of being persecuted introduces what the disciples can expect. For persecution and hatred is the normal expectation of the disciples who are going to fish for men. That is why he goes on immediately in verse 11 of chapter 5, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and, matter, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is their expectation. People are going to say dreadful and untrue things about them and do dreadful things to them because they stand in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For to stand in his name is to live differently unmistakably differently, like salt, like light in the dark, like a city on the hill, unpopularly different because they will do God-inspired good works. That is, genuine righteousness will be their manner of life. The third reference to righteousness is about these good works and it is about the need to have a righteousness that is exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. For the righteousness of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven are those who hunger and thirst for it, those who are persecuted because of it. They have a righteousness that exceeds the legal fanaticism of Pharisees. Their righteousness must exceed that of the scribes for the Pharisaic righteousness was not a hungering and thirsting, it was an avoidance of doing wrong. It was an avoidance of appearing to do wrong. It was the legal sophistry of minimising of requirements of the law and looking for the loopholes of the law. 
And so Jesus spelt out in the rest of chapter 5, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the contrast between the kingdom righteousness and the Pharisaic righteousness. Which brings us to today's text in chapter 6, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, the fourth reference to righteousness. For we read there of practicing your righteousness. Beware of practicing your righteousness before others, before other people, in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Uh, by practicing here, we mean doing it, uh, practicing in the sense that a doctor practices and a lawyer practices, a dentist practices, they, they do it. It's, it's not saying it's something I'm just trying to learn how to do better, it's something that I am in fact doing. At least I hope with my doctor and dentist and lawyer they're not just practicing on me to do better in the future. I take it that they are doing it at the moment, it's just a word of practicing. And it, <laughs> excuse me, it assumes that you are going to do your righteousness that you must do it this way. That is, he's not in verse 1 of chapter 6 telling us to do righteousness, he's telling us how to do righteousness, how to practice it. It assumes they're going to be doing righteousness, for that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount has been about. From chapter 5, verse 16, we've been hearing about the good works that give glory to the Father in heaven. This is salt, this is light, this is the distinctive character of the life of the fishermen. They are now to live by righteousness. But how do you live by righteousness? What kind of righteousness are you living by? How do you practice your righteousness? And the principle that is given to us in this verse is a principle that governs actually from verse 1 all the way through to chapter 6, verse 18. It's the principle beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven i must let my light so shine before other people that they will see my good works and glorify my father who is in heaven not so that they will see my good works and glorify me that is, the character of my good works and the way in which I do them will not be aimed to draw attention to me. It's all aimed to draw attention to the Father who inspires such good works within me. And so I mustn't practice my righteousness in order to be seen by people, in order that I may be glorified by people. For then they would cease to be the good works and would become just as hypocritical as the Pharisees. I would be double-minded in my purposes and I'd be tempted to gain the praise of men rather than giving the praise and glory to my Father in heaven. So the principle that is involved here is a 3.3 S's principle. Secrecy safeguards sincerity. You can have that free of charge. I give it away freely to anyone who wants the three S's. Secrecy, safeguards, sincerity. Do not act in order to be seen. Do not act in such a way that you are seen. Now, each of the three sections that follows spells out that principle. 
in verses 2 to 4, it does in terms of giving to the needy. In verses 5 through to 15, on the subject of prayer. And verses 16 to 18, on the subject of fasting. But in each of them, the key point is the importance of secrecy. So in verse 4 we read, So then when you are giving, may be in secret. Or in, in verse 6, verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. Or again in verse 18, verse 18, That your fasting may not be seen by others, but your Father who is in secret. There is a secret way of living righteously. And that secrecy safeguards our sincerity. The important thing is not the secrecy, the important thing is the sincerity that it safeguards. The reason for the secrecy is sincerity. That has to be safeguarded, that is what is at risk, our sincerity. The good works that bring glory to the Father, the good works that are different to the world's good works, the good works that are genuine and uncompromised are sincere. They come from a sincere motivation. They have a purity in their intention. They have a a single-mindedness about them. They're not a a double-minded thing that... I'm hoping to have a win-win. I help you and I hope that people think well of me at the same time. No, I've got to do it for one reason, to help the person I'm helping or to pray to the Father I'm praying to or in each of these actions it has to be sincere and pure, undivided in its intentionality. And only then will your righteousness receive its reward. Uh, Reward's a kind of strange word at that moment, isn't it? Because we don't give or pray or fast in order to receive a reward and we certainly don't want to be rewarded with a cup or a trophy or a plaque. I always think winning a kind of silver cup is a terrible infliction upon your mother who has to dust it for the rest of her life. Uh, It should be banned from all high school sporting activities to say nothing of the irrationality that because I can run 100 metres faster than the other people, I then have a cup for my mother to spend her time dusting. Where is the connection between running fast and having a cup that you cannot drink from, especially now that it's all in plastic? In fact, to have rewards seems to me almost the opposite of the principle of sincerity of singleness, of, of motivation. Am I doing it to get a reward or am I doing it because it's a right thing to do? Surely a sincerity would say, well, I do it to do the right thing. I don't do it in order to get a reward, not even from my Father who is in heaven. So what is the reward that we would receive from our Father? Is it a cup? Is it a book? Is it a medal? What, what kind of rewards would be the rewards that are being spoken of here? Do I get extra stars to polish up when I get to heaven? Or what is it that actually happens? That I, What kind of rewards are we talking about? We're not told explicitly in this passage. But let me give you four suggestions that might just open our minds to possibilities. I don't know which of these suggestions is correct because the passage doesn't tell us. 
But there are four kinds of rewards I can think of, any one of which would be consistent with this passage and takes us out of thinking that I'm going to get a book because I can row a boat or whatever the way we have rewards. It could be, firstly, that we receive the righteousness that we are seeking. Because I am seeking righteousness, I will be generous to the poor, and in being generous to the poor, I am becoming righteous. That could be the reward. Or secondly, it could be that we achieve the purpose of our action. So the reward for prayer is being heard by God. Or the reward for giving to the needy is that the needy person will be provided for by my gift. It will actually work. It will be effective. For the reason I want to do this is to help. And it will help. Or thirdly, it could be that our Father in heaven will be glorified. When I do the right thing, then people will say, you know, God has made such an improvement in that man. He used to be so self-centred, he used to be so full of himself, he used to be so arrogant, but look at the change that's come about because of God. And so God is glorified. That would be my reward, to know that God is glorified because of my actions. Or it could be the reward that one day I will hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. For that is the reward, the acceptance of God. As I said, I don't know what the reward is because it's not explained to us. It just told us that the reward comes to those who are sincere. Whatever the reward that your Father in heaven gives you, it will only come to righteous acts done with sincerity. Now, having given the overall principles, Jesus then turns to these three areas of reality, real giving, real prayer, real fasting. For in each of these areas... There's the hypocrite's way of doing it and then there's the father's way of doing it. Today we're only looking at the real giving in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 6. God's people should always be concerned for the needy. The Old Testament teaches us in Deuteronomy 5, there will never cease to be poor in the land, therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Or again in Psalm 37 we read, The righteous is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Generosity was the hallmark of the people of God because that is the character of our God himself. Our Father is the protector of widows and orphans and therefore as his people we should be giving to those in need. But that must be a real and genuine giving aimed at really helping those in need, not just appearing to give, not just promising to give, but giving generously. For the hypocrite's way of giving to the needy has a multitude of forms, but it has one common thread throughout it. That is, they give in order to be seen. It's characterised here in chapter 6 as blowing the trumpet to draw attention to yourself and then giving publicly in the streets in the synagogues, which looks like giving, but really it's actually taking. It's taking praise from people. Now, we don't need to delay ourselves with the discussions as whether there were trumpets used in Jesus' day to draw attention to would-be generous donations in the temple. Uh, there are many theories about the historical background of Jesus' comment here, 
But none of them are of any importance in understanding the point. The point is very clear. The image is clear, even if no one ever blew a trumpet like this in their life. It's still a lovely picture, a humorous picture of hypocrisy and its extreme form. The hypocrites give in such a way as to be seen to give. They give to be seen so they'll be praised by men and they receive their reward. That is, they are praised by men. That's what they want. That's what they get. People say, oh, he's a lovely man. He's so generous. They've bought the accolade. Rather, what we should do is think about the modern methods of blowing your trumpet. The public relations firms who position their clients with public donations or with pictures of them being involved with little children in trouble or war zones or whatever it might be. The media shoot of benefactors handing over huge checks, often written in a large, big piece of cardboard, kind of, to let you see how much they have given to this kind of contribution and making sure that the media are all there. The, the naming rights of buildings. Uh, you get more money for a children's hospital if you're allowed to say, this is the Woolworths wing, this is the Coles wing, this is the Aldi wing. I'll try and be neutral to every kind of shopping group that they have, but you go to those children's hospitals, you'll tell which wing. You know, this is the Ronald McDonald wing. It's, we are telling people that we are generous. Or the charity. I know one that annually publishes a book naming the amounts of each donor to the local community charity. It's a small ethnic group here in Sydney and so everybody knows everybody and you get the book and you can find out how much everybody has given to the common charity this year and you can compare it with last year's book and see whether they're doing well or whether they're doing worse or you know their divorce has obviously destroyed their ability to donate or what. You can track each other through this published amount of how much you give. Do you think you would be giving in that book for the sake of the generosity of the cause or for the sake of the good name that you have as a family? Well, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Hypocrisy is deep in the human heart. Oh, you buy a badge. Uh, we, we, we come to, to those badges that you can buy in the streets, caring for people on good causes, right causes, proper causes, but I'm even amused that some of them have different size badges depending upon how much you give. You can buy a $5 badge or a $20 badge or a $50 badge and you then put it on and yes it stops anybody else coming and trying to sell you one because you've got your badge on but it also is advertising how generous I am this year. I know it's a receipt so as to be able to make sure the people who have taken the money give the same amount of money but why do you put the badge on? Why not give the money, take the badge and throw it away? rather than advertise that you're given so much. Or why not buy two badges, one for $5, one for $50, and put the $5 one on and throw the $50 one away? I mean, why do we need to advertise how generous we are? Or the television telethons, you know, you ring up and promise how much money you're going to give, and then the comedian or whoever it is says well that's a wonderful thing it's great to hear Philip Jensen's going to give 30 cents for the people dying in starvation in Sudan that's terrific Philip 30 cents will go a long way and of course you don't have to actually send it in you just get the, the tell the world that you're going to give it and then you work out that 
It costs you more than 30 cents to send it, and so you don't bother. But you've got the terrific privilege of everybody knowing what a generous person you aren't. There's no end to the ways in which subtly, blatantly, we can blow our own trumpets to be seen by others. Ways in which we appear to be giving to others, but in fact, we're gaining from the action. Gaining a fame for generosity, gaining a reputation for being good people, gaining the thanks of others. Uh, our ABC doesn't advertise, well, it says it doesn't, and it certainly doesn't advertise during the news broadcast. That would be the height of failure in its responsibilities. But there for a while, night after night, the Wales rescue copter was seen rescuing people. And so the Bank of Wales got a free advertisement every night on ABC prime time. Of course, only concerned about rescuing people, but making sure that the Bank of Wales was right on the side and it was never called the rescue helicopter, it was always called the Wales rescue copter. It's just advertising. Yeah, it's nicer advertising than some other advertising and if I want to be rescued, I'd like the Wales rescue copter to come by. And, but it's just advertising. It's, it's false and phony if you go away thinking, well, the Bank of New South Wales, they are the, well, Westpac as it is now, of course, they are the generous bank. Generous bank? A ridiculous notion, isn't it? And have to stop and think about it for a moment. I should disclose that I do own some shares in Westpac. <laughs> Just should disclose that en route. But Jesus' disciples are to give, not like the hypocrites, but your Father's way, which is secretly. Verse 3. And verse 3. I can't find it. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you may give, so that your giving may be in secret. The image of not letting your left hand know what your right is doing is like the image of blowing your own trumpet. They've actually entered into English language, haven't they? I, I could talk about not letting your left hand know what your right hand's giving out of the street in George Street or blowing your own trumpet and people would know what I meant. But my guess is that 99 out of 100 wouldn't know that it's actually Jesus speaking. This is just Jesus' influence on Western civilization, And it doesn't need to be explored historically to get the point. Our giving is to be in secret. But how can you give in such secrecy that even you yourself do not know what you've done? See, the important point of Jesus' image is that you don't even try and impress yourself. That is the ultimate of foolish hypocrisy. But we are pretty foolish and we are pretty hypocritical and so we've got the potential for doing it, haven't we? You see, you don't give to feel good about yourself. You don't keep a reminder of your giving. How much have I done this year? How well have I done this year? You give because you see the need. And then having forgiven, forget about it. You don't keep a record. You don't keep on talking to yourself about it. 
You don't get satisfaction from feeling generous. You only give to do good to relieve the need of somebody else in dealing with the street beggars around Sydney. Most people I know, when they give, they really give to relieve their own sense of guilt rather than to work out what is helpful to the person. Because if you investigate what's helpful to the person, giving them money is generally not. That's not what will help them at all. Any number of ways in which you can help the street people, but the least effective way is to put money into their hands. Why do we then do it? Why do I feel like I should do it? Why have this need to do it? It's so as to relieve my own guilt that I have my money in my pocket and my shares in Westpac. And here is somebody who looks so desperate who is playing upon that very fact of looking so desperate because that is the means by which they appeal to my guilt and I give not out of generosity but to get rid of them and to get rid of my bad feelings. Well, if that is how you give, so that to please yourself, then you certainly never to give and be seen by others, to be praised by others. You're giving to so as to be pleased with yourself and to be praised yourself, so that you'll have a sense of self-esteem that is appropriate. And it's a nonsense. Give secretly out of a sincere, sincere generosity and you will receive your reward from your Father. Be it his commendation or be it his glory, be it the reward of seeing the poor and needy satisfied and helped and cared for properly, or be it the reward of becoming a genuinely generous person, growing more like our gracious God, the cheerful giver, who loves the cheerful giver. Whatever his reward will be, it will be to his praise and to his glory, and it will be better than the praise and glory you can get from men. Christian fundraising needs to be very careful in this regard that we don't encourage hypocrisy by the way in which we appeal to people for money or by the way in which we collect money or by the way in which we dispose of the money. For in our advertising for money we can be positioning ourselves as good people doing good things. I was a member of an evangelistic mission committee once where we were being encouraged to set up some charitable help agency as part of the evangelistic mission. Not because that was our purpose, our purpose was to preach the gospel of Jesus, but because by setting up this charitable fund, we would get better public relations, better, avoid, uh, better media coverage, and in fact we would avoid media criticism of only being interested in converting souls rather than feeding the hungry. There wasn't a hungry person we were concerned for. We were just concerned for avoiding bad media. Fortunately, we talked the committee out of doing it. But we really had to talk the committee out of doing it. We have to be careful of fundraising stunts and any publicity. We have to be scrupulously sincere in what we do. We are to be generous to the needy out of our sincere concern for their welfare. And the way to safeguard that sincerity? Secrecy. That's the way. Now the Sermon on the Mount teaches us about the reality, therefore, of religious righteousness. The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ are not to play religion. 
We're not to go through the forms of religion. We're not to show off to others. We're not to try and impress humans, and we especially not to try and impress ourselves. We're to be real, genuine and sincere. For righteousness is not something you play at doing. It's not following certain rules and forms, but it's done in reality as we seek to live God's way, not our own way. But if we do it secretly, how will it ever bring other people to glorify our Father who is in heaven? Well, the answer is simple. For although we don't do it to be seen by men, it can never be hidden. For when you are really righteous like this, you will be like a city on a hill. You'll be like a light lit up in a dark place. You'll be like salt. You cannot hide it. That is, as I give and give, I become more generous. As I become more generous, people will view me differently. I don't give in order that people will see me. But if I keep giving, I will be so changed that people inevitably will see. There's something different about that man. There's something different about that woman. They are not like other people. They really are generous. They give their time. They give their money. They give their efforts. They give their concern. They, they give flowers. They give chocolates. They are always giving kind of people. That's not natural. That's not normal. What is it about those people? Ah, that's one of the Christ people. That's the difference. Now I get it. You don't give to be seen, but if you give, it cannot be hidden. And so, we act in such a way that those in need will be helped. That's our concern. That's what we do. And if we do, in due time, some will see what we are doing and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So we don't ring up the media and say, oh, we're going to make a big donation this week. Would you like to send some, some cameras around to film us making our big donation? That's the exact antithesis of what we would do. We just make the donation and shut up about it. And in due time, people will say, you know those Christians? They're always caring for other people. That's the mark of being a Christian. That's the mark of their God. A genuine righteousness that stems from a changed heart, but changed by God, changed because we've been born, of God, born again, will not and cannot be hidden. The gospel is fairly clear. Jesus, having paid for our sins and having risen from the dead, has poured out his spirit to bring not only forgiveness, but a new birth. A new birth that's a changed life. It is strange, for we... Do not now go out to show people how different we are. That's what the world would do. No, what we do is just be different and the world will see it. That's what we do. And when they see it, they'll do two things. They'll persecute and they'll praise. Both things. Let them persecute us. Let them praise our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death and resurrection and for the pouring out of his spirit into our lives to bring us into new life. 
And we pray, Father, not only for the forgiveness for our failures, our sins, our hypocritical motivations and, and our failure to do good, we also pray, Heavenly Father, for your spirit to keep working in us, changing and moulding and transforming us, renewing us, that we might live more and more like your Son, more and more as you would have us to live, more and more reflecting your character, that when people see our lives, they will know that you are at work in us and give praise and glory to you because of us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.